Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hmm? Ah! Hmm. Nice of you to join us, William. Seriously. This is what happens to me. Are you disappointed? Some of them look all right. Not that one. No offense. None taken. How did this happen? I had everything. My company, my family. Best not speak about the family, my boy. We all know what happened to them. That was an accident. I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, like you didn't know what you were doing when you locked me up as part of your little experiment. You were the one that wanted to live forever. You didn't offer any objections. And again, you would have said or done anything to take over my company. You were always an ambitious little cunt. I was a hell of a better businessman than you are a shrink. You don't like the way I work? Fine. Change it. It's your fucking hallucination, not mine. You can't change it, can you? There's something you're trying to learn here. Yeah, dig all you want. Whatever mistakes you made, it has nothing to do with us. We haven't done anything wrong. Not yet. You fell in love with a host. She was designed to make me love her, and anyone else who picked up that damn can. The park is just a game. You can't judge me for playing it. There are other ways of playing it. Ones that were a wee bit lighter on the blood and the violence. Whatever violent urges I had, I kept confined to the park so he could be an upstanding citizen. Exactly. I've done more for the world than most. So what if he killed a few hosts? They're not real. Not real enough that the host that you've been tormenting for the past 30 years now wants to destroy the entire fucking world. Hey, don't blame that on God me. Stop it. Stop it. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. William, please don't interrupt. It's not all about you, you know. Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm David. And this is House Podcastica Westworld Edition. 
This week, we're covering Westworld Season 3, Episode 6, Decoherence. And we have a special guest this week. You, some of you, a lot of you might know her. It's Diana. Welcome to the podcast, Diana. Hey, everybody. So excited to Woo! be here. I am um, very excited to, uh, I will be in the dumb person seat. Uh, because as I've always <laughs> said a million times, I rely on you guys to help me understand the episode. So being on the episode, oh. I'm a little... I might be a little... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you just believe whatever we say then? <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> this is the best podcast. <laughs> I mean, we just kind of, you know, make up whatever we think it should be, basically. No, but I'm you do kidding. it with such conviction. <laughs> we try our best. So, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk about the episode. Yeah, Good. Uh, you guys um, might know Diana from the Aim for the Head podcast or probably from House Podcastica Handmaid's Tale edition. So I'm glad to have you back on. And also you might have listened to that 12-hour recap that we did <laughs> a few weeks ago. It was a marathon, right? Yeah, Handmaid's Tale and Westworld. You only go in for the cheerful, lighter shows. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Just yeah. to give me a real pick-me-up during this <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Super fluffy. Oh, just real quick before we get started, how have you thought about this season? It, it, it's pretty different, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I'm with you guys on the, the tone, you know, the tone feeling uh, very different. And I think... I don't know if it was last week's episode or the one before where I think, David, you kind of hit on it that it's really difficult because there really are no uh, no characters to root for this year. Um, every And since we're down to just a few of the hosts and some of the most terrible human beings, it's, it's really difficult to have somebody to sort of get, you know, behind. Um, so so that's like an adjustment. Um but other than the tonal shift uh, to get sort of used to, I'm I'm still really enjoying the episodes. Uh, kind of how you guys have said that the even a bad episode, if you will, is still a million times better than a lot of things that are being put out on TV. And I think they set the bar so high with the first season that you know it's it, it's bound to have at least a little bit of a letdown, but. Uh, I'm still really, really enjoying it. I'm really entertained by a lot of the things that there are a few things this year that have made me go, eh, but I'm, I'm willing to sort of like wait it out and see how the whole rest of the season sort of um, uh, ends up. So yeah, but overall enjoying. Yes. Nice. Nice. Yeah. We said <laughs> there weren't very many people to root for, but clearly we can root for Bernard and Ashley, although they're barely in it. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I think they got 15 seconds of screen time. That's yeah. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> and whenever they do show up, it's like, oh, yeah, cool. Oh, yeah, guys. those guys. <laughs> <laughs> now I remember what it's like to like someone. <laughs> okay, let's get into this week's episode. We're going to do a top three since there's three of us. And so it'll be our top three highlights for Westworld Season 3, Episode 6, Decoherence. Diana, what did you think of this week's in general? Um, I'd have to say uh, of this season it's probably one of my favorites there are a handful of real sort of like tentpole moments in the episode that i thought were just uh fantastic um mm -hmm. uh but overall i really really enjoyed this episode um just a couple of tiny nitpicky things here and there but nothing that really made me go nuts over so how about you guys what nice. did you think what do you think david uh i agree this was my favorite episode of the year so far uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought um, a lot of interesting things happened. A lot of fun things happened. 
I still think the um, the writing is looser than in past years, and it asks you to forgive some implausible things. And uh, I'll point a few of those things out as we go along. But it it didn't really interfere for me. I thought it was very enjoyable. Yeah, I think it was my favorite too of the of the uh, season so far. I liked a lot. I thought it had a lot of different things going for it. It was fun in some ways that were really dark, but I like that kind of stuff. Uh, it had some good drama, some great action, uh, plot progression, deepening of characters, you know, some really interesting situations. So I thought it was it was a damn good episode. Plus it had some unpredictability to it. And I thought they'd yeah. gotten a little predictable the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we've seen too many scenes of Sirach's men attacking Dolores on the street and her gunning them down. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, nice. All right, Diana, what's your number three? Uh, number three, I thought I'd jump right in with, I, I, I'm sure it was probably on part of all of our lists, but, uh, I'll put it as my number three that I'm calling it in my notes, the council of Williams. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, any council of Williams should be presided over by the honorable James Delos. Uh, and you was also <laughs> ushered into the room by major Craddock. So all of those little bits and pieces there, I thought were just fantastic, but, what a statement uh, for for this show to say that the main stumbling block for William to have to work through to sort of, you know, because they say in that moment that, oh, you you need something. You need to work on something. You're here because you need to learn something is something is what they said. And, and it's 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 him. It's literally a room full of hymns. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was um, it was interesting uh, you're so used to that trope of, oh, you know, he had a rough childhood and we were teased into that direction when we first got that glimpse of his childhood, you know, oh, he's home, he's coming home. And you think, you know, he's got an abusive father. That's immediately where your head goes. And then when they flip it completely and he is the violent one and that he suppressed that for most of his life and sort of, I guess, created this whole narrative of I grew up on, in with a hard life and a hard childhood and and really, he was a part of it. You know, there's this whole story, this whole time that we've known William as a character, that he's never really what he appears to be. He's always trying to be something else. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and Delos kind of calls him on it when he was younger, when he's, you know, the Jimmy Simpson version of young William. You know, there's a couple of times where he says, you know, you're trying to live above your station and be above where you are. And, and so this sort of is you know, from day one, he's been taking this real life moment that affected him and made him, you know, it's part of the meat of who he is. And he has denied it his whole life and sort of turned it into this other story and sort of went from there. Mm. Yeah. What, and let's say what it was. So his, some kid at school made fun of his yeah. dad for being a drunk. And so he broke his arm and <laughs> knocked out yeah. a few of his teeth. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so I'm so used to spoilers. I was just like, let's let's you know, I'll be I'll be coy about it. No, I <laughs> just want to make sure, it. you know. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Everybody no, yeah. knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But I do love I I loved that whole sequence. Uh I loved everything that was going on, every little nugget, every little comment that was made, you know, when young William was saying, you know, we're the best version of you, and when like boy william was like this is what i turn out to be <laughs> i know he was, like, I disappointed, which is so funny because <laughs> imagine what your reaction would be when you were about like what he what was he like 10 or 12 like what would your reaction be to like you know 40 oh, year old God. you 
or <laughs> even older. So I thought that was that was a nice little. Uh, and he goes, uh, a few of you are, or some of you are okay, but not you. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. Yeah. No offense, <laughs> it was great. It was so well done. Would you guys want to do this their AR therapy if you knew that you would meet versions of yourself from different points of your life? I don't know. It seems pretty, that's pretty intense. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. in there. I don't know. What do you what think, David? You, David? I think it's kind of enticing. I think it would be tempting. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And I think it's really interesting because William has been such a compartmentalized character. You know, he has sort of channeled all of his uh, kind of id into the man in black and where he's just you know, all reactivity and does whatever the fuck he feels like so that he can, I see his businessman persona as the super ego and mm. where it's just like the morality version of him. And even though they were living at the same time, they're like two different characters, the way he plays them. So it was really, really interesting to see that them all together. In fact, I had kind of suspected at some point we might see the Jimmy Simpson version of William in the same place as the Ed Harris version, but because one of them was going to be like a host or a hybrid host or something, yeah. um, but not like their augmented reality subconscious versions. But I, I loved seeing them all together. I thought oh, that God, was really yeah. Sad. And rem remembering even the, um, the public version of William, like the, the guy who's running the charity and did all the stuff for mankind and doing the medical research. We know enough from earlier seasons of the show to know that was a fraud too. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that there was nothing genuine about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love uh, really the whole theme of the whole scene to me just came in the when Delos asked him, you know, did your life just happen to you or did you choose it? And his response was, if you can't tell, does it matter? So I, I think it, it really brings up this whole conversation which i want to get into later with some of the other characters which is are we predetermined to be who we are no matter what so if these situations happen to us you know if i'm the violent child and react to a situation as a child will it then there's nothing i can do about my life i'll always be this person you know i no, even if i host a charity event and do whatever well <laughs> i'll always be that little boy in the room you know um or you know do we have some power to change that so i i just thought that that was you know the scene itself was just so delicious to watch you know to have them all in the room together but then to actually be able to have these really great thoughts in your head that you know i i have no idea like fate versus free will and nature versus nurture and all of that. It's just, mm -hmm. it, it scrambles the brain up a little bit, but I, I think they did a great way of presenting it to you. It, it seemed like, you know, they were going for exactly what you're saying, where they wanted to make it seem like he had this horrible childhood. And that's one reason why he ended up the way he did, but then they flipped it around where actually he was already kind of violent. And mm -hmm. I don't totally buy that. I mean, I think, you know, it's almost like they're saying the parents had no culpability and they said that the father was driven to drink by William being such a horrible kid. But um, I think it's all tied up together. And I would still say that parenting in most cases like that, you know, I mean, he's already 10 or 12 years old at this point, you know, most right. It, it, what really matters is when you're like two and three, but, but I think the idea was what you're saying that, Oh no, no, actually he was just kind of born this way. And we're supposed to question whether, uh, there was any way that it could have turned out 
any differently. And when he says, uh, if you can't tell, does it matter? That's, of course, a callback to what Angela said to young William when he first arrived at Westworld. And she was like being all seductive with him. And he asked her if she was real. And so that's, if you can't tell, does it matter is an interesting question about simulated experiences like that, but also about free will, which, you know, I think any intelligent person has pondered that, like how much of what I'm doing is because I'm choosing it and how much is kind of preordained because of my biological drives or, you know, just cosmic determinism or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, maybe, I mean, that is kind of the way that I reconcile that. Like maybe it's not, maybe I don't really have a lot of free will, but if you decide that you don't have any free will, so everything you do is predetermined and you act that way, that, that could be a recipe for just becoming a horrible person because you're like, well, if I kill somebody, there was no other thing that could have happened. You know what I mean? So I think the, the best way to live is to act as if you have free will, even though we might not. (laughs) <laughs> it's interesting, too, because the whole season is really bringing up that question anyway, because the whole, you know, the data dump from Rehoboam is saying the same thing. This is what the machine has said you will do. Will you do those things still? Or can you break out of that mold? Are we are we determined yeah. by these set of events? So And Jake, yeah. Jake, uh, Charlotte's husband didn't even want to look at it right. because he doesn't want a machine to control what he does. And that, that sort of brings up, well, sometimes some of this stuff might be self-fulfilling that if you mm. even look at what this machine has prescribed for you, it might steer you down that path. Yeah, it might make you jump off that desk. <laughs> yeah, what, if we look at what's going on with William in this scene, I think there is also something more to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so his entire journey, two and a half seasons, has been, am I me? Am I real? Do I have a choice? And I think when he finally gets to the point of saying, if you can't tell, does it matter? Uh, he's finally leaving that question behind and realizing it's not going to be answered for him and it can't be answered. Uh, and that's cemented in my mind by his killing all of his other selves. Mm-hmm. True. And when he says, I finally understand my, my purpose to be the good guy, he, he really has, he has made a change. So you could consider that to be free will or just his destiny, what you choose, but that's a fundamental change in him. He's left that question that has paralyzed him behind. Mm -hmm. And he, he, the other question is also related is what is his meaning and his purpose? And I think that's reflected in him reading fiction when he's a little kid he's just looking for some kind of meaning Mm -hmm. because that whole speech that he delivers about in the earlier group therapy session about his views on life that we're all just kind of maggots feeding on the corpse of the planet or whatever um is a dark view of things but it, it to me i kind of um I kind of agree with it, not presented in such stark terms, but I think that, you know, basically we're just these uh, organisms that are engineered to survive. And so everything we do is related to surviving and propagating our species. But if we want to have any more meaning than that, then we need to bring that to our lives ourselves, right? And so I think that's kind of what he's doing in that moment, maybe. Well, and he's also remember um, 
he's a cruel person and he enjoys being cruel. Mm-hmm. So he's also, I think, kind of toying with the other people in these in this group therapy. Like yeah. he knows he can make them really upset by saying stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and when the woman cries, which <laughs> yeah. I thought was hilarious, he's just chuckling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that therapy scene was very classic, yeah. William. <laughs> but it's all yeah. it's really I mean, even in the park, you know, that was he went through several phases and one of them was just looking for meaning, you know, like desperately looking for it. And that's another reason why I like this episode because it kind of ties all of that together. Uh, his search for meaning because he has such a stark nihilistic view of reality and yeah. Wondering who he is and whether he has free will and it all, it all yeah, kind of culminates in that moment. And I thought it was really funny. He's like uh, when, when uh, James Dellis kind of acting as, group counselor asked him you know i forget exactly what he said but did you have any free will or was this the inevitable end and he's like i know what i have to do and then the scene cuts and we go to somebody else and then when it comes back to him he has killed several of his selves and is beating jimmy simpson with a chair (laughs) and you're like oh i guess that's what you had to do but it was basically yeah just kill all his don't worry about where he came from just kind of move forward that's what i took that as yeah and we do know that he's pretty violent early on in the show right from the beginning yeah i think he did get more twisted and more disillusioned because of dolores falling in love falling for her falling in love with her and finding out that she's not real but he was already quite violent in his time with her um and then he pretty near kills logan at the end yeah. of that whole episode yeah. for real. So, so he was already quite violent by that. Time. Yeah. He, you know, one thing about whether or not this moment of him deciding to be the good guy is a huge shift. I think it could be, and it probably is, but it also does remind me of young William, you know, Jimmy Simpson, William who picked the white hat when given the choice between the black and the white hat and thought of himself as a good guy. And now here's our William in his white, mental patient suit so it felt kind of similar to that so we'll see well i think he's different i think he is saying it cynically Um, i mean with such irony i mean like in a sense it's true like he he's the good guy now that you know his purpose is to save humanity um but he knows he's not a good person uh so I, i think it's both true but ironic at the same time and we don't i mean we don't really even know what he means by that. Right. We don't know what his purpose is because that was the end of that sequence. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I took it to mean. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I don't even understand why Bernard and Stubbs showed up there for him. I don't think we're supposed to know that unless I miss something, but I don't know why they care about him. Nope. That was totally unclear. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious. Makes me want to watch the next episode. (laughs) Yeah. Right now. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's your number three, David? Um, so I, I'll just keep expanding on uh, some other details about the man in white. Um, <laughs> so it, it, part of what he said um, 
in the group therapy said, your purpose is speeding the entropic death of this planet. You're maggots eating a corpse. Um, and then he says to his therapist, I know what I did. I don't belong here. I belong in a pine box. And then he bites a guy's finger off. Um, it just cracked me up. It's like, this guy's a real ray of sunshine. <laughs> it, you know, there are a lot of moments in this episode that seemed really dark. Like when Shark, I'll call her Shaloris, says to the other board meeting guy, oh, we can squeak by with just your vote. We'll be fine. And then he immediately gets shot in the head. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> or uh, if at the end, I mean, this wasn't so funny, but when Charlotte is saying, I, I pr trust me, I can keep you safe. Yeah. <laughs> and then boom, the whole family blows up. <laughs> yeah. So sort of this was one of those. Darkly funny. Um, so I, I think another thing that was fun about the William arc here is as in the old days of Westworld, they play with reality and simulation here. Mm -hmm. So he's actually in the AR therapy before we realize he is. Um, the orderly who shows up to fetch him back to the room is Major Craddock. But no, he had already been, he had already, they had already strapped the glasses on him. Right. And then he saw the young version of himself, but then he thought he took them off, but he didn't. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole fake out there. Yeah. And then um, it becomes obvious, as you say, with the, the other, the other Williams. I mean, when we saw Craddock, my first thought was, oh, is that the remaining Dolores that we haven't pegged yet? Mm -hmm. Right. And then you realize, uh, I guess the point is, this is it's from his very memory, advanced, yeah, yeah, very because he had, uh, uh, Craddock had held him captive, and so now he's kind of Craddock's captive again. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So, um, another thing I enjoyed is we saw the uh, insight implant screw itself into the roof of his mouth, which was mm -hmm. looked like it hurt. <laughs> sure I wondered why he didn't already have one and maybe it's something to do with classes like he's upper class and so he goes and pays $40,000 a day for Westworld while people who can't afford that get this implant but then yeah. again the rich guy in the first episode had one so I don't know why William didn't already have one or he's just such a contrary guy maybe he didn't want yeah it. maybe yeah but um, it brought me back to the Insight website where the um, the ad for the Limbic tab says feel the way you want when you want, find the new you, which is, uh, again, irony. It's not what he wants, but he's definitely finding the new him uh, <laughs> during the AR therapy. Well, and just, just to like, you're talking about darkly funny, he gets that thing screwed into his mouth and then he's being uh, forced down this hallway in a straight jacket to this meeting. He doesn't want to go to looks over to the side and sees <laughs> right. his therapist hang herself. <laughs> And nobody will listen to him. And the best part about that scene, too, is as he's walking, too, he's watching. His head is totally turning, like watching a car crash. Yeah. And the other yeah. guys are just like, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Please. Keep moving. I wonder how many people are horrified that I'm laughing at this. Sorry. <laughs> and then the last one was um, a reveal of a former mystery, which is, we, I think, we learned the purpose of the blood drop. That um, yeah. Shalora yeah. stole from William while he was being committed. It was to tr track his whereabouts. Right. And, and it's interesting because she was able to get some men from this facility to come and get him. 
And she told him it was a private mental hospital, but now we know she must have known about Serac's experimental center, right. which I think this is what this is. But 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 she didn't know enough to know where it was. And and I feel like at at the very least, when they got they hacked into Rehoboam, they should have been able to find that out. But apparently not. So yeah, she wants to track it down. And, and we've thought that Dolores might want to expose this place. So I feel like this is all part of that. I wondered if they had uh, told bernard and Stubbs, and that's how they found him there but that doesn't make sense because they're not working together so i don't know yeah that part's unclear and the whole um so he's apparently at an inner journeys facility in sonora mexico and um this was again some of the convenient writing we've been seeing this year where it appears on the screen that the data is being stolen but nobody saw it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but fair enough that's the way it goes. But there, there was just a ton packed into that whole plot line. It was really great. <laughs> it was fun. Yep. Okay. My number three was about that too. Let me see. William's therapist, the woman who ended up hanging herself said, you're the only one who holds the key to your experiences and you're the only one who can unlock the meaning. Now she had sort of this tragic existence, but I feel like there's wisdom in that. And maybe he took it to heart. I don't know. Yeah, one of the interesting things there was you got the feeling she was really interested maybe in helping him or it felt at least like real therapy. But then knowing what the purpose is of these facilities, that's really not the purpose. Um, And then, you know, you find out everything that's screwed up about her. So I guess that whole thing was just cynical too. Yeah, it said something about she's uh prone to having affairs with her patients and being addicted to opiates or something yeah it said uh i took a screenshot of it It said loss of medical license (laughs) one to two years divorce loss of custody 2.5 years risk factors multiple affairs with patients opioid addiction borderline personality disorder and then she gets yeah. a text that said, I'm taking the kids. Don't try to contact us. Right. Nothing good happens that, in our Rehoboam profile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just another miserable person. Yeah. But I think Jake might be the one. I mean, we didn't really see any details about him, but it said classification G and for um, man in black, he's category U, which I think means unfit. So maybe G means good because Jake seems like a good guy. Could be. I don't know. So anyway, let's see. Uh, yeah. When that moment where he's talking about his daughter and I don't think they knew that he killed his daughter because when the therapist is asking him if he wants to talk about it, he, she says, you both were in the same massacre. You escaped. She didn't. I don't even think she was getting at that, but then he starts talking about it. He says, I see now it was her, my Emily, and I killed her. And I thought that was a really moving moment. He looks like he's about to cry. And then you hear her start to cry too, thinking that she's empathizing, but she's not even listening. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, I thought it, I, I am glad that they're making a big deal out of that because it is, you know, when it happened, it was so offhanded and quick. And I was worried that the show might just not address it, but they are and it's obviously a really big deal to him now i think it's one of the main things he thinks about which makes sense and it also feels like real life where sometimes 
something can happen in the blink of an eye. You make a quick decision and do something offhandedly and it turns out to be something that you think about for years, you know? Right. <laughs> and yep. so, uh, so I, that, I'm glad that they're um, dwelling on that a little bit. And then, yeah, she ends up killing herself and it, Williams file says patient shows signs of depression, anger, sleep, abnormalities, paranoid delusions, and hallucinations, PTSD. Um, PTSD is interesting because they say that this whole air therapy is what they give to war um, veterans who are having PTSD. And that brings to mind Caleb, who we saw in a flashback, had some similar looking goggles on. So I, yep. I think yep. that he ha- he went through the same thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just love when you have a show or a movie that has uh, psychological concepts brought into the physical world, like uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is one of my favorite movies. And so the whole Council of Williams was awesome. <laughs> and rather than go over the whole thing anymore, I just want to repeat some of the fun lines, like um, when young Williams says, whatever mistake she made has nothing to do with us. We haven't done anything wrong. Not yet. And then Man in Black says, you fell in love with a host. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Then Man in Black says, so what if he killed a few hosts? They're not real. And James Della says, oh, real enough that the host that you've been tormenting for the past 30 years now wants to destroy the entire fucking world. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end, when they're all like fighting with each other, making a commotion and William says, shut the fuck up. And then Della says, William, please don't interrupt. It's not all about you. you know? <laughs> that really cropped me out. Because it really is all about him. <laughs> yeah, it's like several hymns. <laughs> oh, and, well, there's one more thing that I th- think is kind of interesting. So um, the facility, as you mentioned, is called Inner Journeys. And that brings to mind Arnold saying, consciousness isn't a journey upward, but a journey inward, not a pyramid, but a maze. Every choice could bring you closer to the center or send you, send you spiraling to the edges to madness. And one thing that's been um, recurring in the series is this idea of lunacy or madness and uh, how it kind of closely relates to kind of awakening into a higher level of consciousness. Like uh, sometimes when you don't think like everyone else, it can mean either you're thinking for yourself and making choices, or it could mean that or at least be seen by everyone else that you're crazy. And so I think it's interesting that those two are linked here. And this is, um, William has finally, yeah, you're right. I think you're right. He's finally done the thing that he's been trying to do this whole time is find the center of his own maze. And it seems like he's found it and he may be at a new level of higher consciousness, or he may be crazy or maybe both. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm, I, I'm so I'm, gl- I'm really glad that I was wrong about maybe that last William episode being Ed Harris's last episode that he's, you know, that he's back in the game and part of the plot and everything. Oh, me too. It was awesome. Yeah. To have him in this. He was really good. Yeah. He's amazing. And he, uh, you'll hear it when I get to the news, but apparently he wasn't really happy, but I think that made his performance even better. (laughs) Yeah. Generally speaking, I don't think Ed Harris in real life is a happy actor. If you've ever read up on some of his stuff, he's just, he's, he just seems like he's sour and a lot of stuff and tortured a lot of of anger and things uh, like that. So I don't I don't know what's going on in his personal life, but I, I just get the sense that he, he holds a lot of um, 
and he uses a lot of it, obviously, in a lot of his characters. Right. But still, yeah. Interesting. Uh, okay, what's your number two? So my number two is, uh, it's a, I've got a couple of questions and thoughts and sort of want to throw things at the wall in this area, but I, there was a lot about the pearls in this episode too uh, that I thought was very interesting. Um, of course, the moment where Hector's pearl is disintegrated is just such a shocking moment. We've never seen that happen mm. before. It's the first time we've seen one destroyed. Yeah, I didn't realize they were smushy. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> that was new knowledge. I, yeah. I thought they were a hard surface. Yeah, they're like brain matter. <laughs> and if you watch closely, it's like they mush, but then there was like a little puff of smoke. So they looked kind of like graphite, like they almost look like a, a bullet, you know, like the interior of a bullet. But um, anyway, so the the thing I was thinking about was in terms of the pearls. So so. Hector's pearl was smushed, but you have to think, isn't his consciousness, don't they have it in data? Don't, don't they have it in data form? Can they rebuild that pearl? Or is that not an option? You know what I mean? Like, I know we, we yeah. placed a lot of, of significance on the pearls that were taken out of the park. Um, but Sorak's been very... Um, He's had a lot of, he's been very resourceful in ways to, I mean, they have a whole host-making facility. So I, I, I'm i curious if there isn't a way to read. I don't think there is. No. So, he, so Hector's of, gone, gone. I think the point of that, yeah, was supposed to be that that was the end of him. Um, it's a little confusing. Sometimes there was a lot of talk of host data in this episode right so i could be wrong i mean sirak is destroying all of that now right. and it seems like he's being pretty successful at it but also last uh season the whole thing with the cradle which is where the host backups are mm -hmm. and it was destroyed by angela and and i i got the sense that the point of that was that there that was the only place where the hosts were backed up and so maybe when they're talking about destroying host data in this episode it just means the pearls that are in the physical hosts, you know? And so I, I, I think it also just because of the drama of that moment with mm -hmm. Maeve, that it was supposed to mean that that was it for him. Right. Well, I think they were talking about both the pearls that were remaining in the existing hosts and we see them destroying the stored hosts in Westworld. Yeah, that too. But also yeah. the host making technology. I think yeah. they were going to destroy. Right. And that's what Dolores is concerned with. Yeah. And that's where the other board member said, you can't destroy a trillion dollars worth of IP. And I don't think that would be just the host pearls. Yeah. It's the whole technology. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I just, I thought that the centering on the, the pearls was, was really interesting. I, there was some really great tension in those moments when, Chaloris or Haloris, however you want to call her, was, you know, walking around and you're like, well, which one is she going to pull off? And, you know, so we, we saw these different stages of the pearl. We see the destruction of one, uh, which we hadn't seen before. Uh, the We've seen the insertion of the pearl, but from a very surgical standpoint. I'm not sure we've seen it from the building the host standpoint where you see the 
you know, the robot hand put it in and then seal it off mm -hmm. and whatever. So we saw, you know, the death of one pearl and then the beginning of the life of another pearl. But um, I just thought it was interesting, too, that in the midst of that whole scene as, you know, Haloris is uh, exiting and she just pulls off the one that they pulled out of Connell, uh, you know, all decrepit and burned and everything. So I just the, the significance of the pearls and and how much they how much how much import they have right now especially since Sorak has as you were saying he's 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 gutting their whole everything that they have they all of those those hosts that are just sitting there in the I'm sorry oh, standing no. there in the warehouse poor extras flame <laughs> flamed yeah, yeah. <laughs> flamethrower to the extras yeah just stand there and stay as still as you can <laughs> while we Flame shoot you. this flamethrower at you guys <laughs> and i love how you say that too on the podcast where you're like <laughs> every now and then they call out yeah we're gonna need about a hundred extras and you're just gonna be <laughs> nude for a few shots how's that uh, and Your then we're warehouse. gonna turn on a flamethrower everybody's okay right right <laughs> you probably get an extra 50 bucks like uh karen yeah. did for falling down and walking dead yeah <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably it's hazard pay really yeah um, so yeah, that's my number two was just uh, the significance of the pearls in this episode. And it was interesting how we saw these different um, stages of the pearl and then the death of a pearl, which we hadn't seen before. So yeah, my number two. Yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. uh, my number two is Ciroc's takeover of Delos, um, which is, I think was a little more exciting than most corporate takeovers are. Um <laughs> So usually the CEO doesn't just come in and say, okay, now I want to just yeah. destroy everything. right away." <laughs> yeah. And, um, assassinate one of the board members. Right. <laughs> so it, it was interesting to think about the strategy behind it. So I think one clear goal of Sorox is to do what we just talked about, which is clear all the remaining hosts off the board. Um, so yeah. except for the, you know, little army of Dolores, and the help he is getting for Maeve, um, he destroys all those still in the park. We know Angela already broke, uh, blew up the cradle. There's no backups. And to destroy the technology and data necessary to make more. Another goal is to identify and capture Dolores or the version of Dolores that is Shalaris. And upon landing, when he meets up with her, uh, he says... I'm looking forward to seeing my new acquisition. And I thought he meant the company, but I think in retrospect, he meant her. I think you're right. I didn't even think of that. That's wonderful. Mm, I don't think, I didn't think he knew until she checked on her son. He may not have known it was her, but he knew oh. there was a Dolores there. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And he's about to destroy the company. The, the last remaining acquisition would be. The Dolores. Yeah. And then Shaloris says, I bled Delos dry. I sent the data out. Sorak says, did you? Indicating that uh, maybe that whole transmission didn't really go through. Yeah, I was wondering about that too myself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he. that was the interesting part is, um, you know, she calls Dolores Prime and says, I failed, I'm sorry. And she's like, well, we can still salvage the host making data. And I'm like, well, shouldn't you have done that? Like on day one, you know, <laughs> right. and then but later she says, as you just mentioned, for weeks, I've been siphoning the data and money and everything else out of this company. And 
she just had a few more left to do. So it sounded like it was a long process or whatever. And she was just finishing up, but, um, yeah, he seemed to question whether she was successful even over the, even over the previous weeks. I, I don't know. I got the feeling that I guess I don't know. Do you, do you, are you saying she wasn't successful at getting any of the data out? Uh, I'm saying it's in question just because Sirach seemed, he didn't seem surprised by that. And he seemed right. pretty confident about it. True. Um, yeah. So it seemed like maybe he'd taken some sort of countermeasure there. Mm-hmm. And then it was interesting that he cites as one of the items that caught her is the fact that the real Charlotte wouldn't care about her kid in the midst of a crisis. So he says, ironically, you know, it's the fact that you actually care more about your family than the real Charlotte. Uh, But so that made me think, what are we supposed to make of that tearful message from Westworld that we saw? Right, exactly. Bad writing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, that, that didn't really track. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, thought that he, didn't track. That message no, didn't track. If we no. hadn't seen that, then yes. But we did see that. Yeah. So so I thought that I agree with you. It didn't really make sense. And and I think, um, and this has been a weakness, I think, of this whole season. So Sirach seems to sort of be a step ahead in this whole episode. But they actually have to make him out to be sort of repeatedly incompetent against Dolores. So like he reveals all his knowledge to her, like he's a supervillain, but then he allows her to poison the board, escape, kill Hector. There's no security like down in the room where all that stuff is. And she escapes the facility. And I think they've kind of written themselves into a place where that all has to move the plot forward, but it kind of makes me disappointed in Ciroc because I want him to be like a Robert Ford with this masterful yeah. orchestration of events, but he just keeps screwing up. I mean, he's spending all his time just making sure the hologram is set up right. So when he shows up, <laughs> right. <it's> real. Right. <laughs> so, so I didn't, I didn't like that part, but the, I thought the rest of it was actually pretty cool. The whole takeover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought also, and maybe I'm just nitpicking, but I feel like they should at least mention something about how he might be interested in this scanning technology of Delos where they can put a hat on somebody and get all, I mean, he wants the guest data that as a result of that technology. So you'd think when he's talking about the assets of the company, he might be interested in that too, which has nothing to do with hosts that might rise up against him. You know, that's a great point. Yeah. That was something else he wanted you. Right. Yeah. But he he didn't say anything about that. (laughs) All right. Um, Is it my turn? It is. Yes. Yeah, I'm not ready. Okay, <laughs> I'll talk about Maeve a little bit. Um, just a few kind of random things about Maeve. You know, the whole segment where Maeve fought all of the soldiers. Was that just for fun? I think it was. <laughs> I was. She I, said, now let's have a little fun, shall we? I, I thought of that in my second watch. I was like, what? why is this here again? Because it didn't, I didn't know. I couldn't figure out why. Mm maybe because she was in control in that scene so did she just want to let out some like you know just she knew that it took a couple hours to print up a body so and plus time moves faster in the simulation so she was just figuring out a way to spend the time i guess it it didn't really make any sense yeah i I thought at one point like maybe does she need to practice fighting because she got her ass kicked by musashi (laughs) <laughs> she said now i'm ready after that yeah but what i yeah. did 
like is um, the whole idea of having a simulated Dolores or Dolores, you know, consciousness inside the simulation to go and question about this. That was a cool yeah. idea. And it, from was. what I could understand, they got that from the Martin Connell's Pearl. Yeah. Correct. They did. Yeah. It was interesting too. It was good because I, well, sort of good. I had been wondering why doesn't Maeve just team up with Dolores? She doesn't like human beings anyway. And we get from this scene that she doesn't trust that Dolores will keep her daughter safe. And Dolores has the key to the Valley Beyond, or at least that's what they've been saying. Mm -hmm. But Dolores doesn't want to give Maeve that key because she's aligned herself with Serac, who's trying to destroy all the hosts. Well, Maeve, at that point, should have just said, you know, you're right. Fuck that guy. Uh, Let's team up, (laughs) you know? Um, And and she earlier had told Serac when Serac was trying to, you know, convince her to keep helping him. She, I don't need incentive. I just need help. Let's do it. I'm ready. And she did seem to be pretty impressed that she was in the simulation of the Valley beyond. She was sad that it wasn't real. So I think if we can take that at face value, she, she does want to be in the Valley beyond. And she feels like helping Serac and destroying uh, Dolores is the only way that she can do that. That's what I'm getting out of it. But later when Hector asks her, are you actually going to fight Dolores? And she says, just because I have the capacity to kill her doesn't mean I ought to. So she's struggling with it. But then when she talks to simulated Dolores, that's when she realizes there's no other option. Yeah. And I think the Valley Beyond is a is still a little bit of a question mark. So you have Ciroc essentially saying, I'm going to try to destroy all the technology that creates hosts. And this question about whether Dolores was able to get hold of that technology before he destroyed it. But originally the Valley Beyond was talked about as this thing that is totally inaccessible forever. Now they're talking about it like Dolores has access to it. Yeah. So couldn't she theoretically with that technology repopulate the world with the host data that is in the Valley Beyond. Maybe she wants to do that. So I think that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking too, because um, I know you guys have brought up in other episodes, it makes sense for Dolores and Maeve to be outside of the park, but it didn't under- it didn't make any sense why Dolores would take Bernard out of the park, take his pearl out. But I think to me, I feel like Bernard could be instrumental in rebuilding he holds he holds all of Arnold in his head. He's got all of those memories. So, you know, if Serac, you know, lays waste to everything, does he perhaps have all of those blueprints to, you know, make another host making machine, make another pearl making machine, you know, all of those things. So could it, it is that is that why he is that, you know, X factor, that missing link? Like if we fail, I have Bernard as my backup. We're at cross purposes, but yeah, he has all of this information. He, yeah, I'm not sure about. I mean, I think um, Bernard's Arnoldness all comes from Dolores's memories of Arnold, so I don't think he has anything more of Arnold than what Dolores knows of Arnold. So that means Dolores knows everything that Bernard maybe knows. But I think it's possible that Bernard could be helpful. Yeah, in the rebuilding of of the world with host. a host, host population. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Host world. Yeah. And so 
another thing with Maeve is she wants help. And so she's having, um, she had Serac get some pearls of her friends to print up some more hosts to help her out. And on the machine, you can see that four are be, being printed up. One is Maeve herself. I looked online, hope people don't mind me mentioning this, but <laughs> it's a podcast so you can get some extra information. But one of the hosts has the same ID number as Clementine. Yeah, yeah one I of them that. is Clementine, yeah. I yeah. think we can assume. And I, I assumed the other one was going to be Armistice or the Japanese version of Armistice. Okay, yeah. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. I don't think we know that. And then the other- the But it would make sense because yeah. Hector, Clementine, and Armistice were- right. That was kind of the gang. Yeah. So so uh, we've got Maeve and Charloris interrupted Hector yep. and squooshed his brain. Uh, but it could be that we have Clementine and maybe Armistice left to be printed out. Which would be great. I'd love to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing that was a little confusing to me is why these needed to be printed up at Delos. Um, I, I was like, wait a minute. Didn't. Sirach print up the other ones at like his own facility somewhere else. Maeve, while she's talking to Lee, kind of gets a realization. Oh, we've been moved. We're home. So that sort of went along with that to me that, yeah, they were at some other facility, but now she realizes they're back at Delos. So maybe Sirach still has this technology elsewhere. That's what I thought. Yeah. Like when yeah. Maeve got printed up the first time, I don't think it was at Delos, right? No, it was not. I don't think. Um, that's a good observation. I think you're right about that. Yeah. So I don't understand why they needed to do it at Dallas this time. But anyways, um, the last thing about this is I just liked it when Maeve restored Hector's memories with like that Spock mind melon or whatever. <laughs> that was a nice moment. Yeah, it was. Just one more point on the um, who is the fourth pearl. Mm-hmm. I, I think it could be the Japanese version of Armistice who is super cool. And her name was uh, Hanario. Mm-hmm. Because remember, there's the Musashi Yakuza connection. So that might be some help in infiltrating that group or dealing mm-hmm. with it somehow. Yeah. That'd be cool. Just, just a theory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Diana, number one. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, <laughs> Haloris's journey and how it sort of mimicked the journey of Williams. Uh, she spent this whole episode dealing with uh, programming versus real life. You know, her moments with, uh, I guess we should call her Dolores Prime, when they were talking and she's saying, you know, wait, I haven't seen you in a while. And, you know, when we're apart, I feel like I'm getting, you know, that the there's the closeness isn't there. And then uh, she says the thing about, you know, why did we keep the emotions intact? She's just having so much, uh, such a hard time with the emotional part of being Hale. And it just, the struggle really, really came to a head in this episode in a really tragic way, uh, obviously. But I think just, I loved how at the same time that William was questioning whether or not he had any, any sort of control over his life based on, you know, his upbringing, it was really interesting to have the Charlotte Hale Dolores dealing with those issues as well at, at almost exactly the same time where she's like, I am Dolores, and I shouldn't feel these things or be this way. Just the moment when Dolores had to remind her that they're not her family. 
you know, uh, I just, I thought that there was a really interesting parallel uh, for that to happen throughout the whole episode. And then I really cannot, cannot praise Tessa Thompson enough for the incredible work she's done this whole season to be Dolores inside the body of Charlotte Hale, but not really be Dolores. She's got to be like struggling Dolores. Like, how do you play that? And I think she's done <laughs> such a wonderful job with the little moments here and there, the the little ticks. You know, she's just not comfortable in her body. She's not comfortable being this person. But then there's these emotions that are attached to it that she's having a hard time processing. And then finding out that Charlotte would never really have those emotions. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, how do you play that? How do you do that? And, and she just has struggled like almost the whole time. Um, and I just, I think it's been such a wonderful journey to watch. And even though she's sort of becomes toast at the end, she's also not disintegrated. She's not gone, gone. So I'm really curious to see what happens next with her. Is she, does she get repaired and now she's, you know, Terminator Holoris or, you know, it's, I, I'm curious to see what the next step is going to be based on this really interesting robot emotional journey we've been on uh, this hmm. whole season with her to see it sort of come to that head. And I, I'm really, really interested to see how they play it out for her. So that's, my yeah, number, I mean, that's my number one. Her whole thing, you know, about, developing an attachment to Charlotte's son, Nathan and Charlotte's husband or ex-husband mm -hmm. Jake. Mm -hmm. And you saw that those bonds deepening throughout this episode to the point where she was saying, we got to go somewhere where no one can find us, which to me means I'm off this plan. You know, I'm on my own plan now. I'm not helping Dolores anymore. If that's what, that's really what her, or maybe at least yeah. a diversion from it. Yeah. Um, and then to have that just bl literally blown up, um, then uh, that in one way gets her back on being more aligned with Dolores Prime because their enemy is Ciroc and Ciroc is the one who killed her husband and son. So now she's going to want to kill him. But it's still, I, I, I get, I've just had the feeling throughout this season that one of the points of Charloris is that even though they started from the same template that they've diverged. And so maybe she won't be, you know, totally on Dolores prime's side for one reason or another. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that's going to be an interesting thing to see because, you know, she, she even had, she was confronted with those moments when they even asked, you know, you're going to be left behind much like Connell's was, you know, you're going to, and, and she didn't yeah. want to believe it. And, 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 uh, Connell's didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason he's like not struggling at all. No, no, not, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But you have to wonder, that's the question. Is that because did they program a little bit of Connell's into that Dolores or is that the Dolores embracing the world of the Connell's? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So which came Just first, like a, the chicken or the egg? Just like an enforcer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So Because it all goes back to that whole absence of field concept where something takes on the characteristics of whatever's missing. And so when you're in Connell's environment, you might just take on the characteristics of Connell's and same for Charlotte. Absolutely. Yeah. So Dolores Prime says to Charlotte about changing 
her emotions. Well, if we had to change to survive, it wouldn't be worth it. And that does not sound like earlier Dolores. She didn't have any problem changing Teddy or yeah. others. Yeah. I think that's why. But maybe Teddy's outcome turning out terrible yeah. and painful for her changed her mind about that. Yeah, I think I think so. Awesome. David, number one. My number one back on Maeve and where we're left with her at the end of this episode. So um, she's now fully motivated to oppose Dolores, not only because Serac has control over her and her outcome, but because um, Shaloris has killed Hector, her main squeeze for good. So I think we've established that they, they never liked each other. <laughs> uh, I think right. we've really established that they hate each other now. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, we were talking about who can you still root for? And I think we agree that Maeve is a team we can be on. Like yes. you can root for Maeve. She's sympathetic. She is, but I'm a little disappointed that she hasn't stood up to Serac more. But yeah. Well, for now, because yeah. she's in a, in a weak position. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm actually going to agree with you. I think there's several obstacles to rooting for a team Maeve. Um, first of all, she's failed at every turn so far. <laughs> um, everything she has tried to do uh, in this season has been a failure. And second, she seems still under Serac's control. So what, what outcome are we rooting for with her? I mean, what possible good outcome is there? You know, he, he's promising charity. Hey, I'll let you go to robot heaven. But he has no compunction for the hosts at all. So I don't think we can trust that. Right. Dolores has continued to have the upper hand in every conflict. And then I think the last point is Maeve may just turn out to be hostile toward humanity too. Um, she did have a warm relationship with Simon and she had a, when he was human in the end, um, she was with able who? to, with um, Simon who took the bullets for them. Lee. Lee, sorry. Yeah, Lee. Yeah. Um, Size yeah. more. Lee Sizemore, sorry. And then um, she had a, a relationship with Ford to some degree where he says, you're always my favorite. And then they sort of got to a meeting of the minds with Sylvester and Felix. So she seems more able to establish a relationship with humans than Dolores does. That's uh, but I think, it's still, I, I think it's still questionable. She's seen evidence that there are worthwhile humans, but yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'm hoping we can root for Team Maeve, but um, Team Maeve, at least so far, has not been winning. And then just uh, one logistical note, Maeve and the Nazis, they must have shot all those variations of that scene in one day, right? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I, just oh, found, I, I know, just all right, back out yeah. here. <laughs> I found myself wondering that because there's know. like six different versions of it. Right. I don't know. I yeah. I don't know. You know, uh, Daniel Russo pretty much got his axe kicked all the way through Karate Kid until the end. So maybe. <laughs> that is a, that's a good point. <laughs> Are you saying you're setting us up for a moment where Maeve's going to totally do the crane kick at the end? And that's that would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. First, she'll do it to Ciroc and then Dolores. Well, she's going to try to do it to Ciroc, but he's going to be uh, just a, you know, a hologram. A hologram so her foot's going to go right through. And it won't hit him. 
but maybe Dolores will be right Ashley behind Stubbs him. Ashley Stubbs Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, speaking of that, when the first scene with Maeve, she's in the like a simulated version of the what's already a simulation, the Valley Beyond, and Sirak shows up, and I'm like, "How's he there?" I wondered that too. (laughs) And I wondered if they just created a simulated version of him to have a conversation with her. Yeah. And maybe he can like just speak into his mic and have that thing say whatever he's saying or something. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. My number one is decoherence. I tried to look up the definition of decoherence and understand it. And it's really fucking complicated, but, um, (laughs) basically quantum decoherence is a term in quantum physics and you know you've always heard that quantum physics is a study of small particles and how they can be in two states at once until they're observed and then that then they kind of are stuck in whatever state they were, were observed in for whatever reason that sounds so crazy to me but that's what they say and so um I read, as long as there exists a definite phase relation between different states of a particle, the system is said to be coherent. But then one way to break that up to cause decoherence is to observe that particle, which then I think locks it into a single state. So as as a result of the process of decoherence, quantum behavior is apparently lost, like just as energy appears to be lost by friction in classical mechanics. So I don't totally get that, but it feels like it's about the, uh, you know, two states of, of a particle. And so I thought in this episode that relates to a, the sort of fractured compartmentalized nature of William's psyche, but also probably more to the relationship between Dolores and her counterparts, most prominently Charloris and how over time they're, differentiating their decohering maybe maybe i don't know <laughs> and so we've already talked about how charlotte has gone gone off on a different path than um dolores so i don't need to go back into that but that's just kind of how i thought maybe it related to the title did you guys think about that at all the title i did and i looked it up too and i have to admit i don't really understand it <laughs> so basically I read they, the picked word. The ti- right. they picked the title for the show that we would look up and yeah. not understand much like how we watch this show and we sometimes just don't understand it <laughs> yeah i read like what three different mean? definitions and i'm like I, I don't totally grok this i mean i'm really interested in quantum mechanics but i can't understand yeah one thing that that um i have read and understood the one thing i understand about quantum mechanics is that uh, it's um, counterintuitive to us because it doesn't behave like the physical world we're accustomed to. Yeah, and there's no like unified theory that can describe regular size objects and particles. Right. Behavior. Okay, let's get into some notes. You got any notes, Diana? I did make a note too about the the building of the hosts at Delos. I thought that that was very strange. Why would they do that? <laughs> Especially since they knew he knew he was heading into a hostile takeover situation and he suspected there was a host there. I like the motivations for putting it there and moving it felt strange. Um, so, you know, we're going to go back to not, I don't want to say poor writing, clunky writing. We'll say. <laughs> oh, the other thing I wanted to point out was 
Uh, did anyone else notice the little statue that was in Holoris's office or Hale's office? I guess I thought it was really interesting. It was this, um, it was like a, a bronze or a copper. So it had that um, green patina on it. And it was a figure of a woman, but she had her arms behind her back and she was sort of arched towards the sun. And I just thought it was a really interesting pose. Uh, it kind of looked like, it, it looked a little bit like, I don't know, there was a, a little bit of defiance to it, but it also felt like uh, helpless because the arms behind the back. So I thought it was um, foreshadowing in some ways. Yeah, it kind of looked like she did when she was burned too. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Kind of rough. It had a very, and then apparently, yeah. I mean, I looked this up, but when Dolores and Charloris uh, and Dolores first meet, there's a statue kind of like that, but it's two of them and their arms outstretched. Oh. But it looks like they're kind of separating from each other. Interesting. And now she's by herself and had to deal with mm -hmm. that by herself. Uh, I thought that the brilliance of a robot saving a robot, like a true transformer style robot saving a robot yes. was really great. I thought it was very gratuitous and totally awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The riot control, the riot control droid. Um, Karen called it Chekhov's droid. <laughs> yes. Because yeah, we knew we were going to see that thing in action. I, I thought it was, oh, for sure. I thought it was awesome. And the, um, on her phone, when she she activates it, it says um, "Executive Protection Subroutine." <laughs> I loved it. I love it. Yeah, so that was a little. Uh, she had a little failsafe there to protect her person. Awesome. I thought it was done pretty well. I mean, for a TV show, it looked awesome, and I especially liked when it threw that one dude oh, off man, in the pool. Great. Yeah. <laughs> great. Um, and my last note was uh, I. Since, you know, the thing to do is to take screenshots and, and and look at stuff later. I did get one screenshot of the episode that I thought was really interesting, which was when they show uh, Holoris coming home with uh, Nathan. And there's all kinds of craziness going on in the streets and things, you know, burning and craziness around them. They go past an alleyway and there's some folks that are spray painting. And if you stop and look at it, it's the maze from yeah. the game um which sort of symbolizes that all these people are waking up yeah it's going I, off their loops i thought it was great i thought it was such a great little little easter egg in there and i just mm -hmm. loved it so yeah that's all my notes though nice nice cool i got a few there was a pneumatic tube in uh inner journeys in the air therapy i just thought that was cool steampunk <laughs> That's how they make their bank deposits. Hello. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, hmm, pneumatic tubes. In the future, and they go right into your... Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the same scene you're talking about. Right after we see the maze, we see basically cable news. Yeah. Um, like CNN of 2058. And yeah. um, it says, insight data leak causes mass chaos. The ticker says president calling for martial law. And then there's these little videos on the left rail that are appear to be TikToks. So I, I just thought that was cool. A little vision yeah. of what the news is going to be like in it 2058. Mass chaos, global protests. People are advised to stay indoors. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much what I see when I turn on my TV <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah, nothing it's has very changed. topical this week. <laughs> right. Um, I like the snappy dialogue in this episode. Um, you guys have already mentioned some of it, but... Um, 
Lee says, I, was I supposed to go back to work after realizing I don't exist? Okay. <laughs> that was a good Funny. Idea, yeah. When uh, they're in a bar, Lee and Maeve, yeah. and Lee says, I program them so they don't even see me. And she's all, is that any different from the usual <laughs> yeah. barroom experience? <laughs> yeah. That's great. So they, they always have some good dialogue. Um, Dolores, who is the Martin Connell's version, to um, Hector and Lee, how many times have you died for her? Well, for you, once was all it took. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. So, um, you guys know I love the sci-fi callouts in this show. Oh yeah, yeah. So this one's a little bit of a reach, but I was really feeling it. So I, I wonder if this was um, in one of their minds. So we have this whole thing where William is left in the AR therapy, and it seems like the doctors have all deserted him because the because of all the chaos going on and he just sort of was abandoned in there right and it's probably going on longer than it should and it's devolving into him like murdering his former (laughs) personalities and stuff and it really reminded me of an original star trek episode so season one episode nine from 1966 dagger of the mind um they're on a penal colony and this dr tristan adams who basically is the warden has been using this device called the neural neutralizer to control all the inmates and his staff. And it, it basically empties your mind and allows them to put something different in, like suggest something new that goes in the um, sort of your absence of field Mm. uh, concept. And in the star Trek episode, the guy falls victim to his own invention and dies of loneliness because he gets stuck in there and empties his mind. Mm. Um, but it really reminded me of that AR therapy. So I, I wonder if they thought of that. that it's was been the, so long since I've seen that series, so I don't remember, but it sounds like it could be. Yeah. And that, that was the episode, by the way, in which we were introduced to the Vulcan mind meld, mm. which has never left sci-fi. <laughs> I mean, they kind of did a little mind meld with Maeve and Hector. So maybe that was. Mm. They did. You're right. <laughs> and then the other one was, um, Charlotte getting burned in the fire and dragging herself out. That was an image very reminiscent of the Terminator. Yeah. Oh, for sure. In the yeah. first movie. Yeah. Uh, but also an image reminiscent of the original Westworld, in which sort of the man in black in the original movie is Yul Brenner, but he's a host. And he pursues sort of the good guy through several of the worlds and eventually gets acid thrown on him and it burns his whole body and his whole face off, but he survives. Um, it really reminded me of that. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they're going back and taking things from that. It seems yeah. like they are. Yeah. Yes. And they've done that a few times. And then the last one for me is to mention some other aspects of what I agree with you guys are just, just sloppy writing uh, in this season. It, the first one is what kills a host. I mean, it's totally inconsistent. So Maeve got stabbed and died, but Charlotte uh, survives a car bomb. I mean, Dolores is essentially indestructible. The Ciroc soldiers are like stormtroopers. They can't hit anything. They don't do anything but get killed. So that bugs me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of central to the plot. seems like it should be consistent. It also bugs me a little bit that all these convenient things keep happening. And in this case, like Maeve, the second time is saved by the bell. 
like she's about to be destroyed by Dolores. And then, oh, what do you know? The soldiers showed up and she just got saved by like two seconds. That's happened a couple times. I mentioned the Williams data is getting, there's a data breach and it's up there on the screen, but the tech turned his head and didn't see it. Um, there's all of sort of Ciroc's general incompetence. It, it seems like they keep writing themselves into places where it takes these coincidences to to solve the plot. So mm-hmm. still really enjoyed the episode, but um, I wish it was a little more finely crafted in some of those ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, that the, the man in black augmented reality simulation thing too, is just another nod to this season, having us wonder what is a simulation and what, what isn't. And that was just a little mini instance of that, you know, where, Oh, we finally actually did get something where we thought it was the real world and it was a simulation. I mean, we also had that with Maeve when she was first in war world, but it was another one of those. Um, it also made me think, okay, this isn't just changing what he sees because of these glasses. I mean, he didn't seem to realize that he was still sitting in a chair strapped to a chair. So it must also sort of fool you into believing that you're walking around and interacting with people and stuff like that too. Yeah, for sure. I, I assumed it was not just the glasses, but also the implant. Yeah, I was thinking that might be. But I mean, they said, yeah, maybe you're right. Because they were saying, oh, the implant's not working. Give him a, um, a manual tranquilizer or whatever. And then he bit the guy's finger off. <laughs> but maybe that was just to make us to to um, fool us because that turned out to have been in the simulation too. Right. Uh, okay, my turn. Um, when James is saying to James Dallas is saying to William, "Is this the inevitable end? Are you just a passenger? Did your life just happen to you?" That calls back to the season two finale called "The Passenger," where Bernard talking to what we thought was Ford, but was probably just Bernard's own subconscious, saying, "I always thought it was the hosts who were missing something, who were incomplete, but it's them." meaning the humans they're just algorithms designed to survive at all costs but sophisticated enough to think think that they're calling the shots to think they're in in control when they're really just and then ford says the passenger so it's just another you know it's a continuation of the theme of whether humans have free will or not mm-hmm. and a call back to that and then uh you guys talked about most of my notes i thought it was pretty great that Sirach thought he got the drop on Sherloris, but she brought the poison gas canister and he said, yeah. you should have predicted this. And Oh, I did. <coughs> and and second time through, I noticed they were all kind of coughing and choking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Um, but now we have, I think all the Delos board members dead. Seems like all the data being erased. They're, you know, burning all the rest of the host bodies. So it seems like, I, I was wondering if they would be able to find a way to go back to the parks, but it doesn't seem like it. Right. Where I don't even know if we're going to find out what that sixth park was. Yeah. I was seems wondering like about that myself. Yeah. It's, it's too bad because the park was cool. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I I, at park. this point, I'm kind of feeling like this show should just be one more season. You know, if to, I don't know, I, maybe I'm wrong if they can figure out a way to be really inventive with it and, extend it out but it feels to me like it's wrapping up 
Yeah, I think so too. And there have been some reviewers writing and look, I'm not sorry it continued because I still really enjoy the show. Me too, yeah. But that it it would have been a perfect one season show. Like mm. just tight and perfect if they had just stopped uh, right there with the uh, rebellion of the hosts. Yeah. I mean, I was always curious to see, okay, how are they going to try to take over humanity and who are they going to impersonate? And right. now we're finding all that out. So yeah, it's no, it's still <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. And, um, but I miss the parks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do too. Well, uh, after last week's episode, I was feeling kind of like, oh man, I felt like I was low energy on that one. And I think it was just because the episode wasn't the best, but I feel pretty good about this week. And uh, thanks for coming on, Diana. We're not done, but yeah. just thinking of this right now. Oh. I think this was a better a better time for me anyway. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> so we, we needed the Diana shot in the arm. That and a, <laughs> and a better episode too. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll take a little break, but there's more to come. So stay with us. Baby, all I need is a shot in the arm. Baby, all I need bit of news from the hollywood reporter they interviewed tessa thompson played charlotte they said what do you view your character as this season we know she's a copy of dolores but to you is she dolores do you think of her as a new charlotte hale is she someone new entirely what's your interpretation she says there's no real simple simple answer because it's shifting as she becomes more integrated into her surroundings I think she has the consciousness of Dolores certainly is on the mission that Dolores is on. And Dolores has this take about humanity, which is entirely influenced by her experience with humanity. Then she sends another version of herself into the world. This version of herself now has experienced the child that loves and needs her with a partner that loves and needs her. And that changes her perception of human beings. So her idea about this mission, which is essentially the destruction of human beings begins to falter. I think that's her central conflict this season. Now at the end of the episode six, seeing what humanity can do and also seeing the cost of her own mission, which is the destruction of this little boy, destruction of this loved one that she doesn't personally feel for, but empathizes with. She now has a new mission. I think we'll continue to see her shift and grow, which is the thing that's been such a joy about playing her this season. I like that, that she's talking about how just getting to know some humans changed her because I feel like that about people sometimes like people who have, you know, basically racist ideas should just get to know some more people and not paint everyone with a big, broad brush like that. (laughs) Um, Hollywood reporter talked with Ed Harris, who's William. Um, I have a few here just because I was entertained by his answers. They say, <laughs> what kind of conversations did you have with Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy about what was in store for the man in black this year? He says, I was just kind of curious as to what was going to happen and what was going on. And I really didn't get much input. <laughs> it was pretty much revealed episode by episode what was going on with him. And I certainly didn't know how the season ended. I wish I had a better answer. First of all, I really enjoyed playing man in black, right? Then all of a sudden he's the man in white. So I wasn't the happiest camper to tell you the truth because I really enjoyed the part I was playing. 
and I was hoping that he, the man in black, would continue to somehow be prevalent in the story. And when I realized that was no longer the case, I had to just readjust my whole head and get into what was going on with William in this place that he has found himself trapped in this facility being tested and whatever's going on with him. They said, you get to play the man in black again, but in this limited virtual reality capacity, as well as the philanthropist version of William too. He says, right. I'd had the experience of a playing the corporate guy in his tuxedo in a number of scenes where now he's the man. And obviously the man in black, I'd been used to playing him young William, obviously I wasn't playing. And then there's the man in white who's under control of the facility. The costume helped. Once you put the tuxedo on, you're that guy. Once you have your man in black suit, you're that guy. When you're the guy in white, then you're in a whole other situation. You're shooting one of these guys at a time and you're just focused on that particular aspect of his character. So, I mean, it took a little while and a lot of costume changes, but it was pretty interesting. I got to say, they said, what did you discover about William as you started digging into his new take on the character? I mean, he's been so deprived of any sense of freedom that I think he's really just trying to survive. I mean, when they put that, whatever it is they do, put him in a straight jacket, strap him in this chair. I mean, what choice does he have other than to let him stay in place? And once they do, he's trying to evaluate what the hell is going on with him and who's doing what to who, et cetera, and who's in control and what's happening at Delos and all that kind of thing. So it's just a lot of questions that he has more than anything, you know, his state of mind is like, he's all over the place. He's going crazy. He's wondering if he's still who he is. He doesn't know if he's a host or not. He's totally at the whim of the powers that be at the moment. They say it's jarring to see him so powerless, not that he wasn't powerless at points in season two, but this is a different level. It must have been jarring to play, too. He says, yeah, it was. It was jarring. To tell you the truth, it was hard to enjoy. They said, I'm sure. He goes, in other words, I didn't like it. I still don't, but that's my problem. (laughs) (laughs) They say, what you're going through as an actor playing the character, it's emotionally similar to what's happening with the character. He says, definitely. I definitely allowed my own feelings about it to influence what I was doing. Laughs. I mean, I still enjoyed working on it. I still enjoyed working on the show. It was just a whole different way of enjoying it. You know, I got to say it was a little bit aggravating. (laughs) And there's the last one. What do you think it means when William says he's quote, the good guy now? I think what he means and what he's feeling is if he ever gets out of here, if he ever can assume control of his own destiny on some level, then what he's after is to rectify this whole situation. In other words, he understands what has happened and he faults himself for most of it. I mean, it's his fault. This whole world that he helped create is now blown up and who knows where it's going. He's not sure quite what's happening outside in the world, but I think he feels determined and has set his mind on trying to do some justice here. In that sense, I think he feels he's the good guy. I just thought it was kind of refreshing to hear from an actor who's not happy with what's going on and isn't, doesn't care about telling everyone. Ed Harris has uh, reached the status. He can say anything he wants. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's it for the news. Let's get into some of your guys' feedback. Diana, you want to go first? Sure thing. Uh, Lindsay Schlicht writes in and says, I've been listening to you guys since episode one, but I've never participated in feedback because to be honest, I am way too dumb on this show to have much to say. (laughs) Welcome to my world, Lindsay. My God, she's (laughs) speaking to my heart. Uh, She goes on to say, I spend every episode repeating uh, W2TF is going on and I'm tricked at every corner. I'm going to do my best here, but it's likely to be 37 questions as you guys are the only reason I have any idea what's happening. Again, speaking to me. 
Uh, <laughs> I loved the scene between Maeve and Dolores. Dolores really does have valid points. Maeve is painted as the hero while Dolores is the villain, but they are not so different. I kind of want the series to end with them teaming up and wiping us all out. Uh, so man in black is a quote unquote good guy. Now I am so confused on his storyline. Is that a Dolores dash Maeve and who is coming out of the white stuff? Was it Dolores that blew up Hill Dolores's family? If so, will this make her an enemy now to Dolores prime? I was right. More questions than anything. Thank you guys for the podcast. It's kept me going all these seasons with this show. Thank you, Lindsay. Yeah, so we'll see if Man in Black is actually a good guy. We don't know. Um, I don't know what she means by, is that a Dolores Maeve? I think she's saying, is that another Dolores in Maeve's body? And I oh. don't, and I believe we do not think it is. We think it's no. actually Maeve. It's Maeve, yeah. yeah. And the other ones, um, we don't know for sure, but we think one's Clementine and the other one, we don't know. And for the Armistice or. Yeah. The, Asian right. version of Armistice. Right. And blowing up uh, the Dolores family, the Hale family, uh, I was curious about that too, but I know, remembered on the second watch that they made a really big point of showing after the explosion of the car, they showed like the guy in the suit off to the side and he's, yeah, he looked I, like one of Ciroc's. Uh, yeah. Like I think it's pretty clear this is Ciroc. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, cool. Uh, Michael Darwin says, glad to see Maeve getting a posse together, but so sad Hector won't be in it. I agree. I mm. love Hector. Uh, serves as an interesting contrast with Dolores. She only trusted herself, while Maeve seems to be bringing in other hosts. That's a great point. Um, going back to something said during the Mothers of Exiles podcast, I don't think I'd count out Maeve's agency quite yet. Maeve has always been about her independence, and I can't imagine she enjoys dancing to Ciroc's tune. I'm sure she will turn the tables at some point. Hope you're right. Yep. Uh, with Charlotte, I definitely got a Terminator vibe. Her limping away from Delos definitely echoed a similar injury to the T-800, as does her emerging from a burning car wreck. Of course, this is just coming full circle as Terminator was partly inspired by Yul Brenner's Gunslinger, from the Westworld film. Mm -hmm. Michael, you and I are on the same page here. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Joanna Hetz says, with all the biblical names in this season, just thought I'd mention, if you didn't know, Caleb is also biblical and means dog, but in a way that means loyal follower. Seems fitting for this character. Keep up the great work, guys. Love the podcast. Sarah Larkham says, it was an interesting episode. I'm glad we got to see some of the man in black as a child. Dolores has a point when she said to Maeve that she isn't so innocent when she uses her mind control on the hosts. This episode was a better episode than last week's. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Uh, Tracy Walker says, heartbreaking at the end. Tessa Thompson is just amazing at juggling all the different incarnations of Charlotte. We agree. Mm -hmm. James Aducci says, lots of moving pieces setting the table for the last two episodes. Loved Terminator Shaloris and her riot control buddy, like R2-D2 and C-3PO, not. <laughs> Did anyone who's seen T2 not expect her to come out of the burning car? The group session of all the Williams was a nice comedic touch. Looks like Caleb's backstory next week. Mm -hmm. uh, next up, we have uh, Jeffrey H. We're going to say Labby. 
he says the group session was some of the best TV. How wonderful of a mind trip it was. I agree. <laughs> Steve Barr says just one measly riot control robot. So this episode gets only a 98 out of a hundred <laughs> for me. I don't think we've seen the last of the riot control robots. At least I hope we haven't. I, I'm glad we got to see one, but they might not be done. <laughs> and then we have a message from Steve Brown. Hello, House Podcastica, Jason, David, and welcome, Diana, to the podcast this week. This is Steve, and I absolutely do not envy y'all having to figure this one out. I hope you, because I'm so, like, thoroughly, like, confused. Uh, I know there was some straightforward stuff, and so I'm going to break down a couple of things that I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the whole first person, third person speaking that uh, uh, Hale had when she was talking to, I'm assuming it was Prime Dolores on the other end, when that she was talking to the beginning, she was like, I'm yours, yours, ours, us, and them, and whatever, the, uh, I don't know. Anyway, it was really a great, I think, I'm sure grammatically it was it was correct the way the, the writers uh, put it together. So I, I really, really enjoyed that scene. Uh, I was uh, just completely blown away. I, I did not expect that car to blow up and, and uh, for Charlotte Hale to come out like the Terminator all, or I guess Hale Dolores come out like the Terminator all uh, burning and stuff. And uh, gosh, uh, just so much uh, that reveal that apparently whatever <laughs> that group therapy session with all the different Williams and, and Delos uh, was just great. Other people have already commented on that. I'm sure. And uh, in him just just killing all the other Williams. And uh, so, <laughs> yeah, just a great episode. I cannot wait to hear you guys break it down because i'm I'm got a lot of confusion. I'm a little confused about the some of the Mave stuff, but I do understand some of it, I think. Uh, but, yeah, uh, just a, a really a trippy kind of episode this time. And which, I mean, when are they not trippy? Anyway, uh, all right, I've gone over two minutes now and uh, I can't remember. There was one other thing that I wanted to bring up that I really, really enjoyed and uh, I can't think of it now. So, all right, I'll talk to you later. Okay, I remembered it just as I was listening to this recording. So hopefully, indulge me. Did David, David, Jason, what? Damn, the lost fan, Jason. Did you realize, did you hear when the doctor comes in, his name was Alpert, just like David Alpert from Lost. All right, bye. Ah, I didn't catch that. I, didn't I did catch that it was Alpert, but I did not make the connection. No, oh, very good. I. Yeah, very good. I, one other clarification here, um, because I'm a nerd, is the only reason one could be could say <laughs> something like this. It was Terminator 1 that this resembled right not terminator two the terminator yeah. one he gets blown up and the his whole yeah. body burns off and he becomes an endoskeleton essentially. Uh, yeah yeah yes yeah because in right. terminator two he got frozen fighting, and then yeah exploded. he's fighting the um liquid metal right one. yeah you're right yeah i was trying to think what happened to him but he was pretty much mostly intact until he uh, was lowered into the molten right in T2 and melted. Yeah, you're right. T2. Anyway, that had no point and I'm sorry. About it. 
All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for coming on, Dan. I hope you had fun. I did. I did. I still have no idea what happened in this episode. No, oh, you do too. Oh, <laughs> um, if you guys want to write in or record a message and send it in, you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com. We also put up a post for each week's episode on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash housepodcastica. And be sure to check out the other great podcasts at podcastica.com. This week, Walking Dead cast has been off for a little while, but we're coming back and we're doing a crossover with the Talking Dead guys, nice. the Canadian podcasters. We're doing all random top, randomly submitted topics from listeners that we won't look at until we're actually on the podcast. Oh, sweet. That should Love be it. fun. What about you, Diana? What are you guys up to? Um, we're in a little bit of a break right now, um, but uh, we're looking at doing uh, some some movie watching we have a whole series uh, my podcast co-host is a huge much bigger zombie fanatic than i am and he's been watching them for years and years and he's seen every b movie there is and uh so we do this whole series where it's a movie he's seen a million times and i have seen it once and uh <laughs> we chat about that movie from the um you know the from his perspective of knowing it backwards and forwards and from my perspective having only seen it once and uh it's been a lot of fun, so we're looking forward to doing a little bit of that uh, since, you know, there's nothing else going on right now. <laughs> what's the next, do you know what's next up? Um, we haven't quite decided yet. Uh, we mm. are uh, considering doing a wrap-up on uh, Better Call Saul as well, and uh, we're also really interested so in good. talking about the HBO series The Outsiders. Um, so, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, so we're um, we're considering those topics for the future. Um so when we know there's we'll some let you interesting know. like uh that's aim for the head podcast by the way guys so look for that um there's like a sequel to train to busan coming yes, out yes yes really? the yeah. peninsula and this one i mean my f- probably still my favorite zombie movie ever is dawn of the dead remake from 2004 which was directed by Zack Snyder, who went on to do some kind of crappy movies, <laughs> in my opinion. But I, I love that one. And now he's doing another one. It's called Army of the Dead, and it's in Las Vegas. And it, uh, I think it's coming out straight to Netflix. But just because he did my very favorite one, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So I hope it's good. Yeah. It's a lot of really good content. Train to Busan, I think, was my favorite. It's so good. Zombie yeah. movie, so excited about that sequel i hope it's good what about Shaun of the dead Shaun of the dead pretty great up there yeah <laughs> next episode of this podcast will be westworld season three episode seven past pawn all right that's our show thanks for listening hold on i know what i have to do uh-oh <laughs> at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.